What's up, everybody? This is Healing Intentions, and I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Mimetti. This podcast is about natural health and wellness, mental health, cannabis, psychedelics, philosophy, and spirituality. Today, my guest is Dr. Eli Camp. Dr. Eli Camp is a 2005 graduate of Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. She lectures across the country and internationally at numerous health conferences, public school districts, and to the community in general regarding the topics of health and the practice of homeopathy and vitalism. She routinely teaches business at the North American Naturopathic Medical Schools and runs private, in-depth homeopathic training. In 2008, she founded Medicine Talk, now called Health Talks 365, which educates the public about naturopathic medicine. She was the co-founder of Medicine Talk Professional, which offers business resources and services to students and NDs. The most recent evolution of this company is Medicine Talk Pro Shareable, which supplies holistic marketing content to individual practitioners. In 2017, she and Dr. Judith Thompson founded Vital Health Publishing for works created by vitalistic naturopathic doctors. She and Thompson are co-authors of The Unvaccinated Child, the tr- a treatment guide for parents and caregivers. Dr. Camp is of Cherokee descent and remains active within the tribe to mentor and educate those individuals interested in pursuing an allied health profession and seeking to learn a more traditional way of medicine. She currently serves on the boards of the Naturopathic Medicine Institute and the Homeopathic Academy of Naturopathic Physicians. Her passion is bringing the knowledge of what is possible to create hope for people seeking optimal health. Let's get started. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Healing Intentions. This is your host, Dr. Adrian Mamedi, and today I have a very special guest, um, Dr. Eli Camp. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. So excited for what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, you've really been a big inspiration for me. Uh, over the years, you came and spoke at our school and did that business, that wonderful business seminar that you do. And I learned so much. And, you know, I really see, you know, a lot of uh, myself and you with the whole business background and combining it with the healing. And, um, you know, I've learned a lot from you and um, really, really grateful for all the work you've done for for our profession and, and just for everything. So, so thank you. And I'm really glad to have you on the show. Thank you. Uh, so just to get started, uh, what got you into naturopathic medicine? Kind of what was your path leading into all of this? Well, there's a lot of different tendrils, I think that brought me there, but the big ones were one, I'm, I'm Cherokee, part Cherokee, part Italian. (coughs) And, um, I was already used to thinking of health and illness in a different way, I think, than conventional mainstream uh, thought trains us to think like. Mm -hmm. And I was in the ophthalmic business, and I helped people with, uh, you know, cataract surgery and things like that. And then I moved on to sell sunglasses, which was the coolest job I've ever had in my life. Flip-flops, shorts, t-shirt, selling $300 pair of sunglasses to people, Oh man, I loved it. But, 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 you know, I, that, that wasn't uh, contributing for me in the way I wanted to contribute in my life. So I put everything together and I said, you know what, I want to be a doctor. 
I started there and I went to the University of Oklahoma. I got degrees in botany, zoology in Germany, in German, because I was already fluent. So it was an easy, you know, minor to get mm-hmm. and um, and started pursuing uh, doctors to work with and books to read and, you know, just exploring what was going to be my profession. And I went back to school late. So I was in my late 30s by the time I made my way back to college. So uh, I spent time with MDs and DOs and all different kinds of docs. And I was so discouraged after most of those sort of shadowing opportunities. I really wasn't even sure I wanted to be a doctor anymore. Uh, I mean, I wanted to figure out why people were sick and how to help them get better. It seemed very simple in my mind. What I did not want to do, and I'm not saying all MDs and DOs and nurse practitioners and whatever do this, but the majority of people I shadowed spent four or five minutes. Uh, They were really good at knowing what drug to prescribe. And when I would ask questions like, well, what about food? Or, man, that person seemed really stressed in their life. Like, do we not want to talk about any of that stuff? Because it seems pretty clear to me. Well, right. I was an undergraduate. What do I know about medicine? And they don't have the time. And they were very, very honest about that. Well, the time, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. So I was in a sort of crisis after doing all the things I thought I should do before I picked a profession. And Then at the University of Oklahoma, there was this awesome uh, lady that got hired to run uh, our herbarium. So they have a big botany department there. And she had two little letters after her name, ND. And so I chatted with her. I got to know her. I shadowed some NDs. And then it's interesting because when I went for my medical uh, school interview at Oklahoma, right, the University of Health Sciences, The guy who interviewed me happened to know my family. We've been in Oklahoma for eons. And he said to me, you don't want to be an MD. Mm. Maybe a DO. You should really consider ND. And so all those pieces came together, right? I looked at Bastyr National and Southwest. I felt National was probably the most naturopathic still at the time I went to school, but we didn't want to live in Portland. Uh, I need more sun than rain. And Mm -hmm. so we went to Arizona and I went to Southwest. And since that time, you know, I know Chicago NUHS is a great, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's your alma mater. And they are probably the most naturopathic school still now Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. this day. Because we're forced to, because of the licensure. Exactly. Exactly. That lack of licensure really ensures the uh, perpetuity of actual naturopathic medicine. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of the story, you know, it's, it's got other stories and tendrils and, you know, whatever, but I do it all over again. I would not go to the other fields of medicine. I like my field. I like the vitalists, mm-hmm. <laughs> the vitalistic approach. So, mm-hmm. and now did you get into the vitalistic approach right away? Did you discover it early on or did it take you, was it a winding path all, you know, after, and how did that go? So what happened is that I heard Jim Sensenick talk my first week of school. And I went through that experience. So many people say of, as I sat there listening to him, 
I felt like I was remembering something I had forgotten. Hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of folks say that I, I experienced that as well at that moment. And I said to him, but I went, I introduced myself to him. I said, wow, I am so glad that you're the first person I'm learning from here, but I got to tell you, as you talk, it's not that I've heard this before, but as you talk, I feel like I'm remembering something I already knew. And he gave me a hug and he said, because it's the laws of nature because it's innate. It's how we work. We know this at a very deep level. And um, so I listened to what he said, but I had this experience and Dr. Aviva Workin actually echoed this almost 14 years later uh, when I said I was hearing things. I felt like I was remembering things. I knew what was important. I knew it resonated with me. But I wasn't quite sure what it all meant and how I was supposed to use this information. And so Southwest uh, at that time, it was not as allopathic as it is today. And I'm just going to say it, right? I feel like I learned some nature cure there from the older docs, especially Dr. Thomas Grusel and um, Dr. Stephen Messer, who is you know, he runs the homeopathy, he ran the homeopathy department, he's retired now, but by default, homeopaths are vitalists, right? Mm -hmm. they, they just, because of, anyway, and a few other people. And, and then I did offsite rotations with Dr. Sensenig and just pieced it all together. But when I graduated compared to now, 15 years later, almost 16 years later, I did not truly really understand vitalism or nature cure or how to put it all together. That took a few more years and it took me working with Sensenig and Zeff and Dick Cronenberg and Cruzel and Dan Young. And like, there's so many people I feel like I could name, but they're the elders. There are, they're the people who actually are practicing nature cure. And that's, it just kind of came together as an amalgamation sort of thing. Mm, and that makes sense why all of you that were mentioned are so passionate about Naturopathic Medicine Institute and keeping that vitalism alive. And I'm so grateful for having that early on, even while going through school, listening to the vital conversations, kind of using that to supplement what I already was learning. And ever now, even since being out of school, going back, listening to them again and having that, you know, vitalism real uh, strong influence from the beginning. I'm just forever, forever grateful for that and what, what you have all set up. And it's just, it's just really amazing. And, and also my good friends shout out to from, from my school, Dr. Alex Orton and Colby Orta there, they were a huge influence on me. Um, you know, being they're there rocking the vitalist world over there. They're doing amazing. They're in Chicago, right? Yep. Yep. In Chicago. Yeah. And it's so cool because, you know, Chicago has a huge vitalist influence, you know, history with Linlar and all the sanitariums and, and homeopathy and all of that stuff. So it's really cool that, you know, they're keeping it alive there. And I've had them on the podcast, too, and uh, really, really great guys. And, and so I'm, I'm grateful for all of that. And um, I just I wish I wish I had had uh, the vital conversation and the vital gatherings as I was going to school through school, because I think when I had graduated, I would my, so I've ended up on that path, but I think that path would have happened earlier. No regrets. Right. I, I mean, we've talked a lot of times. I, I think every moment of our life is important, 
for where we get, there's no do-overs, but it would have been really amazing to hear those words as I was learning medicine. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So I've heard them now. So absolutely better late than never. Yeah. Uh, And anybody listening that is still a student or still isn't a part of NMI naturopathic medicine Institute, highly, highly recommend it and checking them out. If you have any questions, reach out to, to anybody and we're happy to help. Um, So want to switch over to one of your favorite modalities and topics, homeopathy. Uh, Why don't you please describe for everybody that's just coming from zero knowledge, what is homeopathy? How do you describe that? And and just kind of go into what, you know, your love for it and how did that all begin? Okay. Before I jump straight into homeopathy, I like to preface this and I do this when I'm giving talks. I like to preface it with, to, to truly understand what homeopathy brings to the table, we have to understand the two main ways of looking at health and illness. Mm-hmm. So conventional mainstream is looking at symptoms. They consider these symptoms of illness that need to be uh, eradicated, or sometimes you know someone's life needs to be saved because of those symptoms. On the other side of the spectrum, on the other side of the coin is another way to understand health and illness. And that is that you often frequently symptoms are actually not signs of illness. They're signs of the body trying to heal itself. So clearly I'm in the camp. If you haven't picked this up, I'm in the camp of the body has the ability to heal itself. And our job as physicians, doctors, nurses, I don't care where you're at in the medical field. Our job is to support and assist the body as it is trying to heal itself. Mm -hmm. Now, both of those ways of understanding medicine lead to different kinds of tools and therapies. Mm -hmm. On the one side where we look at symptoms, uh, uh, symptoms of illness that need to be fought, we're talking about drugs and surgery and all kinds of stuff. And And in that realm of medicine, sometimes there's room for food. Sometimes there's room for diet. I mean, for exercise and sleep and mind body. There are people doing that over there, but they, that is an anomaly in that side of medicine. And in my perspective, where I come from the, my teachers and our predecessors, uh, it is an anomaly and rare to have to use drugs or surgery or any of those drastic, you know, purgatives, any of that. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the quest to restore the body to health or work with the body as it's doing what it naturally does in its healing, there are a number of tools like hydrotherapy, food, um, lifestyle, meditation, sleep, light, air, water. And one of those tools that can be used is uh, a homeopathic medicines. Now it gets a little convoluted because the practice of homeopathy is a, is a system of medicine unto itself, but the you can use the homeopathic medicines in the way they were designed to be used within that sort of nature cure vitalistic approach. So mm-hmm. how did that happen? Well, I'm like everybody else, right? I can see those cool little round vials in the health food store on these great displays. And it says stuff like, eczema and headache and insomnia, right? And I played with those and nothing. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. This isn't probably the natural way for me to go. Years go by. I was an herb girl and food and all this stuff. And then 
When I started in school, I had Stephen Messer as my homeopathic teacher, as I mentioned, and I fought tooth and nail to start sitting on shifts before I was supposed to, but I'm a pretty persistent person. And I wanted to know more about this homeopathy stuff. And I wanted to see it being used. I didn't want textbook information. I wanted to see it. Mm -hmm. And so we arranged things that I could sit on shift and I could watch. Now, Stephen Messer's not the kind of guy who lets you just come and watch. He's thrilled that you want to come and watch, but you don't learn just from coming and watching. So I joined his shifts, full-fledged, he asked me what remedy I wanted to give the first night. And I was like, dude, I don't even know how to pronounce most of the names of these remedies. He's like, I don't care. You got to say something. If you're in here on shift, you have to tell me what you think. So I did. It was ridiculous. It made no sense. And I knew that. He knew that. Uh-huh. But he he thanked me for being, a, you know, a good player and um, a good teammate. And so a few weeks go by and this woman, here's when I knew, right? This was my calling. So this woman, she's French. She was raised in France, whatever. They're here in the States for for a bit. This is back in 2000, whatever. And she comes in with her son, five, six years old, laying limp. You've heard this, haven't you? Laying limp in, no, okay. Laying limp in her arms. He's pale. He's groaning. He looks like a seriously ill child. And in my brain, because I hadn't started actual clinical shifts yet, I'm thinking, dude, what are you doing here? You need to have this kid at the ER. But no, she comes in, she sits down, she's used homeopathy her entire life, Mm -hmm. and she wants a remedy for her son. So we traipse into the exam room, me and Messer and a few other people, and we do physical exam. Now, I wasn't supposed to, but he let me look in the ear. So the kid has an ear infection is what it turns out. It's purple. It's bulging. It's so scary. And we go back to the room and they discuss it. What remedy do we want to give? I'm still very new at this. I have no idea. And so they come up with this remedy. It's called Lachesis, mm-hmm. a left-sided remedy. It was his left ear, purple. Things are purple, right? And they can be really sick. So he sends me down to the medicinary and go get a dose of Lachesis. He sends me back to the room. They're in the shift room talking about actual cases that need follow-up. I'm in the shift room and I'm talking to mom and we're talking, I, she spoke German too. So I was practicing my German. Like, I think it was about five minutes, but I didn't notice it in five minutes. So about 10 minutes later, I noticed her son is sitting up on her lap and he's rummaging around in her purse. He's looking for crackers. Hmm. And it struck me that this was a very sick child less than 10 minutes ago who now is rosy and pink and hungry and sitting up and chatty and wiggling to get off of her lap. And I thought, huh, that that's pretty interesting. And so he just kept getting better and better and better in front of my eyes by the minute. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be right back. So I go, cause I asked him Messer when he put me in the room, how long do you want me to stay here? And he said, Oh, let's see what happens. <laughs> so like I go running down the hallway to where they're talking about other cases and you know there's students in there trying to get an answer from the doctor so they can go take care of their patients and i burst through the room and i said 
holy cow. And he said, okay, everybody, hold on a minute. And they've grown out loud because they know that if we stop case review right then, they're gonna, it's going to be hours before they see their patient. But he stops <laughs> the discussion. He says, what's going on, Eli? And I said, I think you need to come look at this child because something happened. And he said, what happened? And I said, I think he's better. And he said, oh, no, that was a pretty bad ear infection. And I said, I know, but I really think you should come look at this kid. So he goes, okay, groans, right? The whole room erupts and groans. So he and I go down the hallway. We go in there. He looks in the ear. He says, here, look at this. I look perfectly normal, pink, healthy kid's ear who is now tearing up the room. And I'm thinking, oh, my God gosh, got to get this kid out of here. He's like pulling cotton balls out and Q-tips and mom's very French. She's letting him just do whatever he wants to do in the room, right? Uh-huh. Lack assist, one dose. We sent him home with two doses just in case um, she ended up having to use one. That moment right there, I said to myself, I can't imagine how I will be a doctor without knowing how to use this therapy. And that was it. And then I just studied my butt off until I felt like I understood what was going on. Wow. Yeah. What, what a great story that uh, that'll, that'll get you into something really quick. Um, and that right there shows the whole idea of placebo effect, you know, homeopathy being placebo. It's like, well, where's the placebo in a child? Where's the placebo in a pet and an animal? Yes. Yes, I agree. I, I think that the, the placebo effect is a very real thing in medicine, regardless of what you give somebody, yep. whether it's natural or it's the worst drug on the planet, placebo effect is real. And we know that there's lots of research on it, yep. but yeah, you start talking kids and animals and fish mm. and things that have no awareness or concept. And you see a remedy stimulate a return to normal in, in that case please. Why, why is not every, every human on the planet? Like, right. We know we should eat our, our veggies and drink water. Everybody knows that now, whether they do it or not, it's another thing, but we know that. Mm -hmm. Why don't we know the top 25 homeopathic remedies? Why are they not in every person's medicine cabinet? Because there's no, there's no lifelong perpetuity of spending money on a drug. Like I'm going to get you in trouble, aren't I? No, no, no. This, no? Is the, okay. this is where we go all in on, okay. on these topics. That's here. it. Because yep. it's not a lifelong addiction or dependence on yep. something that earns somebody else money. And it's just. Absolutely. You know because I it's get... not a $7 vial of, of homeopathic remedy right. that could last if you, you know, regraft it and keep it going. Yes. Yes. That yes. makes sense. You know, so, so what is homeopathy in a nutshell to people that don't have a clue and in your opinion, how does it work? <laughs> okay. So it is using a, a substance that can cause a set of symptoms in a healthy person. But when you use that substance with someone who actually has symptoms, it, it, somehow, I'm going to tell you how I think it works, but it somehow stimulates the body to recognize that it's not in balance, that something is wrong. And then the self-healing mechanism of the body that built in innate healing ability uh, kicks in more strongly. It's, it's already there working. 
Mm-hmm. When, when our body's out of balance or sick, or we have a cut or we have a cold, or we eat something poisonous, or we break a bone, it doesn't matter when we disrupt that, that harmonic frequency of a healthy body, uh, the body starts to heal itself. Mm-hmm. And so all we're doing with the remedy is saying, huh, uh, this remedy has known, right? It's like cures like this gets a little convoluted because most people don't really want to know how it exactly works. They want to know what does this do for me? Right. How will this change my experience of life? So the mechanism of aspirin isn't even known, right? We don't know the mechanism, but this is what I think is happening. Mm -hmm. So we are solids that we can see. We are energetic frequencies that, that we can measure sometimes, but can't see. It's like thought. What is thought made of? You can see the the outward expression of thoughts, which is this kind of energy, right? We can paint a picture. We can sing. We can dance. We can work. We can live. We can love. We can eat. You can see the effects of thought. But can you see thought itself? No. You can measure what thought is doing with, with electrical devices, but you cannot visualize a thought. Mm-hmm. And I think homeopathy is in this realm, in this energetic realm. We cannot visualize the information it carries. So think about this. If you're brand new to homeopathy, let me, let me just say these two. Let me give this comparison. If I take an aspirin, I'm providing information to my body for my body to do something. It just happens that that information is packaged as large molecules that can be seen in a microscope. And then that, that information comes in my body and my body does something with it. And then there's a result, right? Homeopathy is the same way. It's just, we can't see the information. We know it's there. We know how to use this massive collection of medical information to choose the right remedies. And we can see the effects of it because people get better, but we cannot trace the path, just like we cannot trace the path with most drugs on the market of exactly how it works. So it stimulates that healing ability of your body. It's not suppressive. And there you go. That's my explanation. That's not what I tell most people. Most people I say, this is what I say. It's non-toxic, safe, natural way to stimulate your body to heal itself. And most people accept that no problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's true. You know, it's like most people aren't really that curious how electricity works. They just turn on the light switch. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yep. Yep. No, that's, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, you know, and it, and it makes sense too. Why is it not that well-known here in America internationally? It's very well-known homeopathy used all over the world in the U S not so much because we have a stranglehold of big pharmaceutical companies. You know, we're 5% of the world's population in the U S we consume 65% of the pharmaceuticals produced. So it's just like, well, well you know you why, right? It's because our people in power are not looking out for our best interests. Our people in power view us as commodities. Yep. That's why. And you have people who own pharmaceutical interests who are leading and making decisions that is vested interest. And, no good business allows that to happen, right? That doesn't happen in school and education. And why, why are we, here's what I get. I'm not upset at those people being evil. They're being evil. That's yeah. in my opinion. They're being, if not evil, 
they're, they're making a buck, right? The greed rules their life. Who, oh, yeah. I'm, who I get upset with are people like you and me because mm-hmm. we keep buying it. We keep, we keep allowing them to manipulate society and we know better. And it's scary. It's scary to stand, stand up and say, no, yep. no, uh, actually, you know, we're here to arrest you because of crimes against humanity. Yeah. Yep. That's what it's going to get to. And, you know, it's, it's really scary. And you're right. People like you and I, and people like our colleagues where in all of our naturopathic schools, as you well know, they're requiring students to be vaccinated. Well, it's because they're not naturopathic anymore. Right. And that's a controversial statement or is it, you know, and that's, I don't care if it's, they're not teaching naturopathic medicine anymore. They're teaching the tools uh, herbs and food and exercise and hydro. They are definitely teaching the tools, but you can get education about those tools anywhere. You don't need to go to naturopathic medical school to get education about the tools, mm. but they're no longer teaching nature cure nor how to use those tools together to restore health. They're chasing disease. They're treating symptoms of illness. They're no longer treating symptoms as a expression of the body trying to heal itself because they don't even teach that anymore so yeah i i I mean i'm glad they don't fund your show because you probably would have just lost all funding but dude no they're not teaching now chicago and uhs i believe still teaches this their their uh achilles heel is that it's not licensed and so they have a very hard time getting this demonstrated in clinic which is why we need centers of excellence where, where students interested in nature cure can come learn how to apply these tools within that paradigm of make the body healthy. Don't chase disease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, and that's exactly what Dr. Jim Sensenick always would say, right? It's not about the modalities or the tools. It's the way they're used. Exactly. And it's the thinking behind it. And that's exactly. what it's all about. And if that's not there, then we're just green allopaths. <laughs> exactly. And that's not the point. And, you know, no, no coincidence in Illinois, why we have such a hard time with licensure is because guess who's headquartered there? The right. AMA. Exactly. <laughs> They've been fighting us for hundreds of years. Well, they weren't formed hundreds of years ago, but the thought, the mentality was there. Uh, as soon as they realized that we were going to cut into the pie financially, then we became a problem. Yeah. Yep. That, uh, that's what happened. And well, well, I don't believe you're at the last ANP conference in Phoenix just I now was, in July. Um, I, but I was there and I saw this talk. Um, I believe it was Dr. Ryan Bradley was his name. Um, talking about how naturopathic medicine is the disruptive innovation of healthcare. And I yeah, love that because I've worked too. in d- disruptive innovation a little bit and it's, and it's exactly right. You know, Netflix, is the disruptive innovation to Blockbuster. Yeah. You know, Uber and Lyft, disruptive innovation to taxis. You know, the taxi companies tried fighting it in the courts and then they all lost because yeah. disruptive innovation always wins. Yeah. And we really are the disruptive innovation of healthcare, but we need to all get that and, and yes. act like that and come together and, you know, fight in a unified front for that. And I think that's what NMI is doing better than, than anybody out there. That's why I'm so you know, uh, passionate about it. And, and I'm here to, to help to, to support whatever that looks like for our tribe. Um, you know, because I really believe that 
knowing the history from Dr. Rick Hirschner's documentary, how healthcare became sick care and all of that is so important. And how, how he just said on the last podcast that, you know, history repeats itself and it's very important to know the history. And, but what excites me about it all is the opportunity we have now to just like how Rockefeller did, you know, a hundred years ago and came and changed the whole system and, you know, change everything around. I believe our tribe, it's our time now to do that back, like change it back to the way it always was, change that paradigm back. If we don't, if we don't, the human species is in trouble. Do you know Joe Wallach from, uh, okay, mm -hmm. so this is a guy who is probably one of the most brilliant people on the planet. He's kind of like Hahnemann though, right? Dr. Hahnemann was vinegar instead of honey. Mm -hmm. And right, had a hard time getting people to listen to him because he's very, you know, in your face about why are you doing that? That that's not even medicine. Well, Wallach is kind of like that too, but he has an enormous amount of information he collected over the years. So he's the he was the founder of longevity products as as well as many other things. But he accessed research from around the world that was done with animals and by the vets. And he's done other stuff too, but that kind of was the, the little seed uh, that caught my attention anyway. And he was able to show with the, without the proper minerals and vitamins and, uh, you know, different kinds of things, diet, that they don't last for many generations before they simply die out. It's not even that they're sick. It becomes where they can, their line cannot sustain itself. So that's Wallach. And I mentioned Wallach because most people in, in naturopathic medicine know him well, his name at least, and some of his products. Well, there's a lot of other scientists and other fields all around the world who have been able to show with the wrong nutrients in, with toxic buildup, without supporting the body in its natural attempts to heal itself, you get two or three generations. In some of the longer lived species, you get what looks like four or five generations. And really in the, the, we are just not even a full blink in the history of the earth humans, right? Mm -hmm. So without what we do and our knowledge and teaching people and making more copies of doctors who get it, I don't know how long the human species will actually be able to persevere given the last 200 years of changes. And we've been on this planet for, well, it depends where you come from, what your philosophy is. But I, I believe the record that shows that we've been here well over 150,000 years. Mm -hmm. We can only, we write, who said that? Graham Hitchcock said it. Uh, we're, a, we're a species with amnesia. We don't remember. We, we may document, but that gets lost to time. It's just the nature of things, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, we have to do what we're doing. It's not even so much about today and Mary, who's got MS and can't get out of her wheelchair. We're talking the survival of the species and we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And now they've got this vaccine. I don't know. Are we allowed to talk about it? Now they're, no, I want to go deep into the vaccine. Okay. Well, now they're injecting this unproven, untried piece of genetic code into human beings and we do not even have an iota enough of information as humans to be messing around with the humans. And they, 
genetics. So people will argue with me and say, we have been doing genetic manipulation for thousands and thousands of years. Okay. But yes, but done in the natural environment. If you go take out a tree or you plant a tree, like that is still letting the earth and nature act on the changes you've made. This is different. We've taken this into the lab and we've said, let's make these changes. I really feel like they say, let's see what happens. And I don't want to be part of that. I don't want people to be part of that. Not when, like, you know, this is the important part. I think it's all important, but this is an important point is that why do that when we know how to support the body to keep it from getting sick or as sick, we know what to do when the body is sick to help it recover. And we know what the big, huge, glaring problems in society are now, which is the lack of resources and lack of education. And what do you think about it? Well, you know why? Because it doesn't make $33 billion this year. Well, of course, (laughs) of course, we're back to the money thing. Well, you know, follow the money, right? It's, it's just so like, once you see, you can't unsee. It's just so obvious. Oh yeah. Like riding a bike. Right. Hey, I know what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's so hard because you say that to some people and they're like, oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. It's all about the money, man. They're I'll do whatever it takes to protect my child's health. Really? Will you do whatever it takes? What about educating yourself just a little bit on the other side? Like feeding them food, real food and getting them outside. And right. Yeah, I know. But people, so, you know, um, there's a gal, uh, there's a gal up in, uh, Wyoming. And I, I'm blanking on her name. She's an old, old, old time nature past. She's retired for years. And she said to me one time, a couple of years ago, um, she said, you know, we've been trying to do this for 50 years, Eli. We've been trying to wake people up and say, look, yep. you know, this is a few choices you have to make, but really there's not a whole lot else you have to do to the body. If you do the basics, the body takes care of itself, but mm-hmm. people see it as this massive endeavor of food and diet and exercise and gym memberships and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they shy away from it. Why, why would they go down that path of upheaval and disruption when they can pop something in their mouth that makes them feel like they're better? It's because they want to feel better. They don't actually want to do the work to be better. Right. <laughs> And I say that to my best friend, like if my best friend listens to this podcast, we've been friends for almost 40 years. She has no interest. Mm -hmm. She wants to live the life that she wants to live, do a few things here and there. And we just talked about this the other day in the morning. She's like, I know, I know I, I like my life. I like my life. And they just don't know what life could be. Maybe they'd like that better. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's why I love Lindlar when he talks about that number six, raising the level of consciousness of people. Yes. That's what I think it all comes down to. You know, yes. I realized my vision and kind of my purpose here is to educate and empower people and raise their level of consciousness to realize that they're their own self-healers. And that's it in a nutshell. Um, you know, I posted a picture the other day, uh, three pictures. It was from my son's, he had a, he got a wound on his foot 
and it was on a plastic or on a metal rebar. It was a little rusty. Mm. We live on a homestead now. So all the conditions for tetanus, right, are, are there. And it was just tore up. And what did we do? We did a little bit of hydro. We did a little bit of colloidal silver, just in case there was some yucky stuff on the rebar. We um, use calendula because that heals the tissue. We did arnica, which is a homeopathic, and we did latum because latum is a remedy historically that we've used if we have a concern for tetanus usually used with puncture wounds this was more of a scratch and in seven days with nothing but uh, a little calendula a little hydrotherapy i had him increase his vitamin c for a few days and homeopathy we have a beautiful perfectly healed skin and i made a post on social media about it and i said you can see this. Imagine when this healing takes place deep, deep, deep within the body. Mm -hmm. It's kind of magical to me that our body just does that, right? It's just, it knows what to do and we just need to help it. And that's cheap and effective. Yep. That's it. That's it. And I think that's what it takes to change the paradigm back to the way it always was, you know? just in alignment with nature and that's what it'll be. And I really think this is the time where all of these, you know, movements are happening, the cannabis and psychedelic movement and, you know, cryptocurrency and blockchain and all of this stuff happening with this political crazy virus craziness, all of this at the same time happening, I think is like the ultimate catalyst to wake people up to be like, Oh, either I'm, I'm adapting or I'm dying. Right. Well, it has the potential to do a lot of waking up. I agree with you. Yeah, oh, that's, sure. that's the way I've seen it. And, you know, um, so continuing with the controversial topics, let's talk yeah. about the link that you've seen in your career between vaccines and autism. Yeah. What a great story. Sad, but good. Yeah. Yeah. So when I graduated in 2015 or 2005, I almost said 2015, 2005, I was just thinking about, you know, being a general practice doctor, family practice, um, using food, exercise, meditation, body work, hands-on healing, and homeopathy. I had it very neatly packaged in a little box with a bow on top. I knew exactly how I was going to do it. Skipped the residency, took off to New Hampshire. Why New Hampshire? It's a long story. We won't go there, but I went with four of my colleagues We opened an office in an incredible old Victorian style home that had been turned commercial. And one of my very first patients was a child on the spectrum. Before that moment, I had met a few people who had children on the spectrum. I had met a couple of adults with Asperger's, which is a very different presentation. Mm And uh, they came in and I said, I've never treated autism, right? This is early on when I was still using language, like I've never treated autism instead of I've never tried to reestablish health in someone who's showing the symptoms of neurological issues, right? It's a way of thinking that's different. So I called Messer and said, I got someone in with, I don't think I can do this. And he said, 
it's like anything else. Take the case, prescribe the remedy, you know, tidy up the diet, do whatever stuff you do. It's the same thing. Call Sensenic. And I said, I don't think I can do this. And he said, why not? You're not treating autism. You are reestablishing health in a human being. Just do what you always do. So I, and I'm a very transparent person. I told mom, I don't think I'm the right doctor for you. And she said, well, you help this person and that person who are my very good friends when no other doctor could help them. I'd at least like you to try. And I'm like, Mm. man, I even said I can't do this. So I took the case. I, I learned so much about the spectrum. I learned so much about autism in a very short period of time. And what I learned is that their bodies can heal too. But to tie it into exactly what you asked me, I have seen this go, these numbers go up and up and up. And the last time I looked at any like number statistics, it's like one in four children are being diagnosed with autism. Wow. Um, when I graduated, it was one in 32. And I can tell you from my own witness, right? I witnessed this videos of children who were fine in 24 hours after a vaccine or some other precipitating event. They're completely autistic and it doesn't go away unless you have interventions specifically to restore health to that body. Like meaning there's no drugs. There's no drugs they can get. They can drug them so that they are not participating in life and therefore they're not a problem or an inconvenience, but they're drugging them. They're not curing them. Yep. So um, I have been able to piece together and I don't care what clinical research studies are out there. I'm just telling you what I've seen. So I've seen vaccines trigger it. Time and time and time again. And everybody know, in susceptible, yes. What is that susceptibility? It is anything from, a, from any, any of the following or a combination of the following, genetics, lifestyle, diet, sleep, what they, um, I say genetics, but uh, for me, there's a deeper level to genetics that we, we, we don't just pick up hair color and eye color, right? In our genetics, we also pick up the way our body operates. Mm-hmm. Uh, ty- the use of Tylenol, the use of antibiotics very young where it kills the GI tract, the, the stress that some of these kids are under, the, the lack of active parenting, the kids are just kind of floating around out here and you know their interactions are limited to when they do something wrong. Mm. Or not every parent's this way, but you know, I'm talking about what sets the stage. Yep. The lies, the lies from the CDC and the FDA about what's in these things and what they're doing to our body and the the suppression and censorship of really good research around the world has led to this place where we're at now with this current whole vaccine campaign. Yep. If we won't even fight for the well-being of our children to not be diagnosed with autism. Oh, come on. Yeah. Well, yeah, so it's bad. It is more than half my practice. The numbers go up. Like if I even make, like I'm on sabbatical for those of your listeners who don't know much about me and my background, I almost died in 2018 from conventional medicine, mm. but they also saved my life for a moment long enough to allow my homeopath to give me a remedy that finished the healing. So Mm -hmm. after that uh, bout of of illness, 
I, um, it was an infection that they didn't tell me I had. And I went septic at Christmas, 2018. Anyway, um, I lost my train of thought. Dang it. I hate when that happens. Yeah. Um, about about autism autism and, and... I do that too, all the time. That's funny. (laughs) Um, (laughs) dang a manga. Well, whatever. It was a good story. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back. Uh, oh, I said something like we're not willing to save our kids and wh- whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I was going to mention that it's just so ridiculous. You mentioned FDA and CDC and lies. And it's just so funny to me how FDA could approve of X and experimental therapy in eight months. But cannabis is still schedule one drug with okay. no medical use. Like, right? come on. Come on no. Right. It's so obvious that people, they, I don't know. I don't know why we can see it and hundreds of thousands, probably approaching millions of other people can see it, but the other three and a half billion people can't see it. It's like we're divided. It's like we're two species. Now I'm not throwing that out there to get everybody in an uproar, but why can't a species develop cognitively first? that makes them a different species. Because I really feel sometimes like most of us who get it, who can see it are a different species of human. We've evolved in a, in a cognitive way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't mean the others are less or not capable. It means they didn't evolve that cognitive ability yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's stopping them from evolving is that cognitive dissonance. They just yes. can't get themselves to believe that the world could be not as good as it as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The world can be great. Right. And, and I think you 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 experience exactly what you decide you're going to experience in life. But right. there are moments when there are things are happening that has nothing to do with perception. They're really happening. Right. And you either see it or you don't. Yep. Yep. And I see the corruption all around me, but I also see the goodwill and I see the cooperation and I see the honesty. And that's why I gravitate towards people like you and, and Sensenig and Zeph and, and all of the associates at NMI and, and, and my network of my social network I've built, I've built over the years because I need real and I need honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of my favorite uh, phrases I've learned recently, I'm using it all the time now, is your vibe attracts your tribe. Oh, I like that. Ooh, let's make t-shirts. Your vibe attracts your tribe. I love that. That would be a really, really nice, uh, catchy, right? Yes, yes. Yep, yep. So uh, switching over to another, you know, of our favorite topics, the business world. Um, what advice do you have for new naturopathic graduates? I know that's a, <laughs> could be a tough question, but what no. do you say to somebody just graduating right now? So I tell them, figure out what kind of doctor you want to be. First of all, when I say what kind of doctor, figure out if you want to chase disease or you want to restore health. That's the first thing you have to do. Mm. And then number two, do not be afraid of this this vitalistic nature cure way of understanding health and illness. It is real. It predates anything conventional. If you, if you can believe that a cut heals, then, then that's nature cure. That's vitalism happening before your eyes. So don't be afraid. Um, instead of running to the sinking ship, 
get the hell out of Dodge and go the other way, right? Conventional medicine is sinking. It's killing us. Yep. It is killing us. And you have to be brave and save us. And how you do that, I firmly, truly believe that unless you've got a Jim Sensenig, you can go work with for five or six years, right? So someone to mentor you who is a vitalist. And, and it doesn't mean you have to be in clinical practice. There's a lot of things that you can do. This would be the third thing I would say. Well, let me finish number two. So unless you have a mentor, join NMI and listen to the vital conversations year by year and do the vital gatherings. Right now we're up to five, I think, right? Yeah. And there's some extra things in there. Be part of the clinical discussion group and immerse yourself into that. This is your, your support. Number three is you don't have to be a clinician. Now, you're, I don't think it's very ethical for you to write as if you're a clinician when you're not. So write about other stuff. Figure out how people can learn. Figure out programs that can help people absorb this information. Become a speaker and speak about the philosophy. Get a job working for an organization or an agency that does research and can get funded and believes in this kind of medicine so that you can do some research and help support the clinicians. Write a book. Um, yeah, maybe open an apothecary. Maybe like there's so much you can do. Being a clinician is one part of it. And they all can be very lucrative. So find someone to do a business brainstorm with. Find a coach. Figure out, you know, how do you want to use your education? Pair it with stuff you did before you went to school or with hobbies that you're so into or with things that you wanted to accomplish in your life and figure out how to build a business for yourself or go to work for someone who, who's a vitalist or whatever. That would be number three. And number four is, I know this is a little, takes us on a little tangent here, but not a long one. You get one life in this body, right? Maybe you come back in other forms and shapes and you get to experience life again. But in this place right here, right now, you have one body to experience this life in. It is, it is energy. It is physical. It is spirit. It is so much we don't know. But what we do know is that laughter and love and harmony and strong relationships, these are some of the most important, this is some of the most important medicine to humans, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I could tell them so many other things, but I, I think that's, that gets people off on the right path, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And if you, if you don't mind just kind of talking about what other types of businesses or things that you've been involved with, or that have really kind of excited you over the years, I know you've always done clinical practice part-time, right. And then always been involved in other things. And I've always kind of wanted to model after that as well. I come from a you know business background and I'm trying to figure out exactly how to combine all of that. Like you're just saying, you know, and I have a lot of different ideas for businesses and, and things. And so yeah, I think I'm I'm accepting the fact that I don't need to be a clinician really at all. And that's okay. Like I want to impact a lot of people and I can do that on a much bigger scale versus the one-on-one -on -one thing. And that's okay. You know? Yes. Yes. So I have found that people 
who really take the time to understand themselves and what they like to do, what makes them vibrate at a higher frequency, uh, harmonic mm. frequency when they, when, and that usually takes getting still <laughs> and really just taking a minute to check in with yourself. Um, yep. once you can do that, you can build, you can build something out of nothing that delivers information or products or, or energy flow. You can deliver that. And the people who need that will be attracted to it and you you're up and running and you make money. I know I make that sound very simple, but it is not it's not more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. You have to have the basics of business, which, you know, can I say, if you're an ND listening to this, if you're a business owner listening to this, if you are just trying to figure out how you're going to earn your way through life money-wise, the blueprint for business is it's a, it's a, it's a master's degree in 16 hours, right? Because I take away, I strip all the fluff and I say, these are the core things that you need to need to know to start, maintain, and be successful in any business endeavor. Now it's got stuff in there for doctors, of course, because that was my, you know, that's how, that's who I was, I was making it for. I wasn't even making it as a business thing, I was trying to help my classmates mm. and, and came up with this thing. But uh, there's also a blueprint for any business now. So what we did is we went through and we stripped all the medicine out. And we said, anybody who's trying to do a business, these are basic skills you have to know. You have to know sales, you have to know marketing, you have to know accounting, you have to know this stuff, right? Mm. So I'd say, start there. As long as you have the basics of business, you can make money with anything that you want to make money with anything. Yep. You know, and I'll just share with what I've learned for myself and my business endeavors. It's not as much even about those skills because they really are simple. It's about the inner stuff, the, my own blocks and my own traumas and my own self-limiting yeah. beliefs and all of that stuff, my own self-worth, all of that stuff that once that gets figured out, then it's yes. Like- yes. You have to be, in a place of resonance. Now, can the resonance be improved upon? Yes, but it has to be a certain amount of harmonic resonance before you can see these things, before you can understand these things. Yep. And that just usually is time and effort. You know, it doesn't happen spontaneously that we all of a sudden know who we are. Mm-hmm. Like I know people in their 90s who still don't know who they are. I've treated people as they were on their deathbed and they said to me, man, if I could do it all over again, I, I, I would have been a ship's captain. And they were like a, an actuary with a, a life insurance company. And mm. know that what makes you vibrate at a harmonic frequency, because we all know that, right? Surely we can feel in ourselves when things are all lined up and they're humming along. I mean, they create vivid memories, you know, we seek those places out and those moments out so that we can feel good and, and, and balanced. And for some people that's partying on a Friday night with their buddies. It just is. That's where they feel the best. It doesn't mean that'll always be the place. Cause that's usually an escape behavior, but once in a while, hanging out with people dancing and, and having a, a wine that this is good for humans. We're celebratory creatures, right? Yep. Life is a celebration, you know, life is a celebration. So 
I wish the schools would, would bring me in at least one time for every naturopathic doctor's career, like as a student, just one, one time, because I think that there's a lot of business things we don't learn and it's, it's a mystery and it looks complicated and it's not that complicated. You just, you just have to know how, and then most of us can do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I agree. That would be amazing for all the schools to do, not make it like a optional, you know, paid no. seminar, which no. was amazing and highly recommend, but just like a mandatory, this is required, you know, quick well, seminar. Business. Yeah. Like, isn't it something like 70% of all the graduates from naturopathic medical school have to become business owners? They, they have to be entrepreneurial because there's not enough people yet right. hiring them. And well, that's a whole other bucket of worms. Who are they hiring? Like we know this, this difficulty from within the profession, people are starting to notice it from without the profession where they're like, I went to an ND cause I didn't want to take antibiotics anymore. But the first thing they gave me when I walked through the door was an antibiotic. And I say, you're not in the right doctor. You're not at the office of an actual naturopathic doctor. You're yeah. at the office of someone who thinks they're practicing naturopathy. Go yeah. do a consult with this person for 15 minutes and then they come back and they're like, oh my goodness, all they talked about was assisting the body and how to heal itself. Like that's the kind of doctor I want. And so those people, uh, I'm not sure the outside uh, world who would be hiring us. I don't quite know yet. I'm working with other leaders in our profession to figure out the languaging on that because this move to allopathy within our field is not the answer. Yep. They want us. They just don't know they want us because we don't have language to to capture them yet. And I think the schools would backpedal and I think they would go back to nature cure if they thought their graduates could get jobs to pay off their school loans. Yep. Yep. I know what they're doing. It's just I don't think it was well thought out. The, the, the long-term consequences were not uh, considered, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you're spot on because that's exactly what the, Dr. Ryan Bradley said in his uh, talk, that we need to have a unified front and uh, the language describing what is the experience of going to a naturopathic doctor. You don't know. <laughs> this one might be like this. This one might be right. like this. And that's a problem. We don't have like a, you know, homogenized experience across the whole profession. Exactly. And so that will be interesting to see how that develops. But um, okay, so my last uh, question, and you know, one of my big passions, uh, cannabis as medicine. How do you see that fitting in with naturopathic medicine going forward in the future? And what role do we have in this whole exploding industry? Right. So you know, uh, how do I say this? I think it has incredible value uh, as a tool. I think psychedelics have value as a tool, but I would take us right back to the beginning of our conversation where I said, before you can talk about the tools of medicine, you must decide, are you chasing disease or are you reestablishing health? So in the hands of a practitioner who is reestablishing health, I, I can't think of anything that, that, that wouldn't be helpful. In the hands of someone who's chasing disease, I think it can be detrimental. 
because it's just another, well, less detrimental than a lot of things, but it's still a tool to escape, like escape reality, escape understanding yourself, escape, right? Mm -hmm. And not just, not just cannabis, but I think alcohol is the same way. Mm-hmm. I, I use wine at medicinally, mm. not personally with my patients. There are people I use wine medicinally for. Do they always need wine? No. Do I suggest cannabis to some of my patients? I do, but it is all why I'm doing it. Not what I'm using. I'm right. trying to help stimulate their body to be healthier and more harmonically uh, tuned and when you first start working with someone, they're a mess. They're, they are a mess of tangled yarn, especially if they're coming from conventional medicine. And so sometimes, you know, just chill things out a little bit, take a deep breath. I, I think there's something to the psychedelics and to uh, the, the cannabinoids where it connects our spiritual self to our spiritual higher self in a way that deep meditation, deep long meditation and deep prayer and chanting and things like that do the same thing. And we've used that for as long as we've been on planet, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is important when you can connect to your higher understanding and your higher thoughts, your higher being, even if just for a moment and it changes how you understand life and how life fits together. And some people need that. They can't do it in the beginning without that aid. As they get healthier, as your harmonics become more, uh, uh, right? The the frequency becomes more harmonic as you have a stronger connection to your higher self. Well, you don't need that stuff as much anymore. You don't like even people who meditate for hours and hours and hours to reach that state will say to you, well, you know, I don't have to meditate for five hours a day anymore because I've reestablished that connection, that bond. So that's what I think about all of any substance, any tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I I agree. And you know, what are we all about in naturopathic medicine, getting to the root cause of what's causing the issues. And I think especially psychedelics are such a powerful tool and getting to that root cause of people, you know, literally psychedelic means mind manifesting your subconscious to the conscious. And yes. it's not for everybody, you know, certainly not for everybody, but if you feel called to it, it's such a powerful tool in getting to that deep, deep, deep core, your beliefs about yourself, your traumas, all these things that are really at the root. And then you release yep. that and then the healing can happen. Can happen. Well, you know, it has been used by shamans and healers and spiritual leaders for for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Do you know Dr. Natalie Metz? Of course. Yeah. I went in uh, on your podcast about psychedelics. Definitely. No, she, I I met with her up in Oakland. She's definitely one I'll be having on. (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah. She is very knowledgeable about this as well as many people, including yourself. I mean, it's just, we're, we're all thinking the same way about it, right? It's not a gateway drug we're not going to fill the prisons full of people like have you ever met somebody who's gotten high on cannabis they are so not the people who are going to become raging maniacs shooting guns all over the place right right like they're just not it's not what it does in the body yep exactly very well said awesome um well glad we got to do this today i've been looking forward to it 
Yeah, yeah, this is awesome. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I just want to, um, you know, leave you uh, if you want to, you know, say any last words and, uh, you know, a message for everybody listening and uh, just, you know, so grateful again for everything that you've done. Well, who's your audience? I mean, a lot of naturopathic students, colleagues, you know, a lot of us in the profession mostly, but a lot of random people too, you know, fans, family. Then I want to, I would like to say a few words that's applicable, whether you are a physician or any type of healthcare practitioner, or you're someone who is curious about if this kind of medicine is a good fit for you. So this is what I like to say. If you heard the words that I used when I said there's two ways of understanding health and illness, and it made sense to you for me to say when the body is healing their symptoms. And if that, if that resonated with you at all, it is very likely that naturopathic medicine is a very good road for you to explore. Now to my colleagues and students, really understand what your perspective on medicine is. I'm not saying one is better than the other. They're different. They're very different. They are opposite each other. Integrative doesn't exist. I believe this. You cannot take two opposing philosophical constructs and get something usable in the middle. Now you can understand both sides. You can make a choice to sometimes treat one way and the other way. And that's what people are calling integrative. But for me, you're constantly opposing the, the innate healing wisdom of the body. And so you NDs and soon to be NDs that are out there, pick a side, pick a side and get really good at it. Um, I mean, I hope y'all, I hope you're all on the vitalistic nature cure side because there's not enough of us and that's what the world really needs. But regardless of which way you go, pick a side, understand what you're doing. Don't call allopathy naturopathy because it's not. And if you want to use allopathy to work with people medically, more power to you, but it's not naturopathy. Mm -hmm. Neither is functional medicine, right? Functional medicine. Same thing. Exactly. Exactly. So pick it, stick with it, believe in it. And when you no longer believe in it, do something different. That's that easy. It's like with all of life, do it, do the best you can until you know better and then do better. Mm -hmm. Someone famous said that I'm not stealing a quote. That wasn't from my head that I just read that the other day. That was a good one. I was like, wow, great. I think it was Maya Angelou who said, Nice. Do, do the best you can until you know better and then do better. I think it was my answer who said that. Beautiful. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much, uh, Eli. This was amazing. And uh, I really appreciate you for all you've done and who you are. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Have an awesome weekend. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.